All right, good morning. It's a joy for me to be here. Um, you already probably realize I have an Indian accent, so I'm going to go rather slowly so you don't miss what I'm saying this morning. Good with that? All right. Um, thank you for uh, having, us, uh, having me here. Uh, it's a joy for me to be here. What I would do next few minutes, I would like to share a brief testimony of how I came to know the Lord. Uh, and what the Lord has been doing in my life, and where the Lord is taking us next. So that's the plan. Um, my name is Philip Nainan. Uh, quite often people call me Ninan. It's Nainan, so I'm, I won't be offended either way. So stick with Phil, maybe. Um, I grew up in the southern part of India, uh, a state called... Uh, Tamil Nadu, uh, the neighboring state would be Kerala, that is the southern tip of India. That's a little bit about India. Uh, how I came to know the Lord, my parents uh, were, we are third generation Christians. Uh, I did not change my name when I came to America. People often ask me, when did you change your name? I did not change my name. Uh, all my life it's been Phil, Philip. Uh, there was one rule in my home that whether you like it or not, you went to church. So I went to church with my parents. I did not know Christ as my savior, but uh, to make the long story short, at, 30, at the age of 13, I heard a clear presentation of the gospel, uh, the story of Nicodemus coming to Jesus and asking, what must I do, right? He said, I say unto you, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So that day I did not understand the entire uh, uh, salvation message, but I knew that I am a sinner. I needed a savior. So that day I approached the Sunday school teacher and she explained, and I accepted Christ as my personal savior and God. That, that was uh, when I was 13 years of age. Then um, I could... I have five uh, sisters. Uh, I'm the only son. Um, then I continued my studies after high school. My desire was to go into engineering school. You know, if you know anything about the Indian culture, uh, there's only two groups of people. One, if you, you have to be a doctor or, or you're an engineer, right? So if you go and ask the pastor, I have a son. He doesn't like to do either of them then what usually the pastor would say, you pray and send them to Bible college. Uh, no, that, that was a joke. Uh, no, uh, uh, the meaning you do not, usually the Indian parents, they don't send their first thing, they don't send their kids to Bible college. Uh, so, but my parents, over the years, they've been praying that God would call me to ministry. But I had no desire to go into ministry. So 1988, there was a small Baptist school in our town, Baptist Bible College, and in order to please my parents, I joined that Bible College, 1988. It was started by a Canadian missionary uh, from Calgary. He was serving in India, uh, well, 34 years ago, he came to India and started that Bible College. So anyway, I joined that college. I thought, in order to please my parents, I will go there for one year, then I will go back and do my secular degree. That was my goal. Uh, so I went 1988, uh, completed one year. Then I thought, 
you know, I, there was no calling for me. So I thought I'll do something else. But the second year, my mom, you know, my parents, they've been praying. So then I went back without any real goal. So while I was a second year student, the Lord really spoke to my heart from Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus looking at the harvest and he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send more laborers into the field. That day in that chapel, uh, I felt the Lord was speaking to me, and I surrendered my life to full-time Christian ministry. Uh, after that, I con continued my studies there. Then I went to uh, uh, another school, seminary, to complete my studies. Then I came back and taught at that Bible college for a few years. Then I wanted to do my further studies. Then I came about 21 years ago to Philadelphia to, complete, to continue my seminary education. That's where I completed my studies. Then I moved to Chicago. Uh, I worked as an assistant pastor at an independent Baptist church in uh, Bolingbrook, Illinois, which is a suburb of uh, Chicago for a few years. I taught at different seminaries in uh, India, uh, Russia, Philippines, Ukraine, and a few other places. Uh, I taught at uh, different Bible colleges. My pastor would send me to different countries, and he would say, Maybe the Lord is calling you to Russia. Every time I come back to States, to Chicago, I always felt the Lord was calling me to India. And about five years ago, uh, we started a ministry in India called Heritage Baptist Ministries. Um, my heart's desire and burden is to start independent Baptist churches in India. So seven, uh, five years ago, we started a ministry, and today we have seven new church plans in India. And we have uh, a small Bible school. We have 40 students. And this year, Lord willing, we will have 70 students in our Bible college. My desire is to train these men so that they can go into different villages in India and to neighboring countries like Burma. We have students from Burma and eventually send students to Sri Lanka and a few other Asian countries. So that's my desire. We have a small orphanage. Also, we have five boys in our orphanage, and we also have a small Christian school. So these are the ministries over the years the Lord allowed us to start. I'm not a fundraising guy. Uh, look at me. But the Lord has, over the years, used different uh, people from our board to raise some support. Uh, the, all of these ministries are supported by uh, churches and states and few guys from uh, Australia and a few other places. So that's our, that's what's happening now. And why, why am I here? Uh, I do work and that's how I support myself and I support a good chunk of the ministry. Uh, I'm in IT. Uh, my desire is to leave my job and go into full-time ministry. Last one year, I've been raising some support so I can be in full-time ministry traveling back to India and spend more time on the field. That's why I'm here. If the Lord lays a burden in your heart, whether to support me or to support the work, I wouldn't be offended either way. If you say, well, I don't like the guy, but I like what he does in India. Uh, but you're, you're welcome to support that. Uh, but at any case, uh, 
that's what I've been doing. I work Monday through Friday in Chicago. Uh, weekends I travel, raise support uh, for the ministry and for myself. I raise about 40% of my support. Uh, once it's uh, 50, 60%, I'm going to quit my job. My targeted goal is next July to leave and go into full-time ministry. I spend all my vacation in India at least a month or two every year. July, I'm going to go to India and, and because it's a new school year, uh, so there's the orientation and things like that. So if you have any desire to come to India and see what the Lord is doing in India, you're welcome to talk to one of your pastors and they can test, keep, uh, they can uh, contact me and I'll be able to help you out. I do take a um, lot of guys uh, or both girls and boys for uh, team uh, meetings or uh, games. I just, we just did a soccer camp a uh, few months ago. It's a great way of reaching the high school kids in India. So uh, these are some of the ministries that what we do uh, now. Before I start the lesson, do you have any questions? Uh, I, I don't want to take so much of time. So I don't miss the so you don't miss the lesson. Any questions? All right. So at the end of the service, I'll be out there at the booth. Please stop by, ask me questions. Um, one thing I missed uh, saying: I am a member of Independent Baptist Church in Chicago, and that's where I'm accountable to to my pastors and the deacons there. Uh, I'm also part of uh, All Points Baptist Mission, which is the mission agency. Uh, that's how I came here. Uh, I'm a good friend of uh, Pastor Doug Wood. I mean, if you're familiar with him. So anything I missed, you can ask me later on. Okay, Book of Philippians chapter 3. Book of Philippians chapter 3. So I should be done by 1040, right? All right. You guys are following my accent? Very good. Book of Philippians chapter 3. Um, years ago, uh, when I was in a, a foreign country, I was teaching a course. My pastor was with me, and I was, uh, my background is in counseling. Uh, I did a, a couples retreat, and my pastor stood up. Well, I preached first. Then my pastor came, he spoke. He said, if I had one last chance, what would I preach or what text would I preach from? So on the way back, um, I thought to myself, what would I do if I had one last chance? Uh, so this, that's, that's how I landed in this text. This is Philippians chapter 3. I will share something where the Lord has been dealing with my own heart. A uh, few practical lessons. Philippians chapter 3. Uh, it says in uh, verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Let me introduce uh, my, what I'm trying to share with you next few minutes. When you play any sports, there are certain essential rules that you need to follow, right? For example, you want to swing a golf ball. You don't look there and swing, right? You look at the ball, 
right? When you want to catch a football, you, it's, you have to focus. You have to look at the ball, right? And kick. So any sports that you play, there are certain essential rules that you need to follow. In this passage, what Apostle Paul is doing, there are certain principles or certain lessons that you and I must follow in our Christian life, right? I will explain what that means a little bit more. If you study Philippians chapter 3, uh, look at verse 1, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things unto you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Look at verse 7, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, those things I count a loss for Christ. Look at verse 8, the second part. I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them, but what's the next word? Done that I may win Christ. So if you look at Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking, well, he is listing all his pedigrees, his uh, resumes, his uh, accomplishments, right? He's saying in chapter 3, all my achievements, this is what I have done, all this. Then at the end, he says, all that what I have done or my accomplishments, they are a big zero, right? That's why he said uh, everything is a big, I count it as a dung. So he's using the metaphor in chapter 3 as an accountant, right? So as an accountant, if you know anything about accounting, you take the ledger, at the end, you write a big zero, Right? He says, okay, everything I have done is big zero compared to when I in my race with Christ. Then he's moving from the accounting term, he's comparing himself to a runner, right? So that's why you find verses 10 to 15, he's comparing himself or he's using a metaphor, a runner. So what I would like to share with you in the New Testament, what Paul is saying, as a runner in the race of life, there are few essential rules you and I must remember or attitudes that we must have. So that's what Paul is talking here in verse, uh, look at verse 12. It says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. What is he saying in this context? Remember I said these are the essential attitude we should have. If you're taking note, it says a holy dissatisfaction. What Paul is saying here, he used the word two times, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, attained or perfect. Same, the word, the verb perfect, Paul is using here. What does that mean? Usually in the New Testament, he has used the same word, a verb, but they are in adjective form. Here he's using it as a verb form. It simply means, I have not come to a place in my Christian life that I have consistently displayed maturity. Okay? He's saying, look, I have done so much for Christ, but I have not come to a place where I could say that I'm consistently faithful and consistently obeyed God. That's what he is saying. He's not talking about any sinless perfection here. Okay, He is saying, look, 
I have come a long way, but I have not arrived yet. I haven't reached a point in my Christian experience where I think after Christ and walk with Christ and model Christ with consistent purity and maturity. What he is saying, look at me, even though, does that sound surprising? It is Sunday school, okay, you can talk back to me. Uh, uh, does that surprise you? It does, right? Think about it. This is how I see Apostle Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, right? He, God revealed himself to him on the way to Damascus. I call him the clear thinking theologian of the New Testament, right? God, he has a good understanding of New Testament theology, right? He started a lot of churches in the New Testament, right? Now, he's looking at his own life and he's saying, I'm not perfect yet, right? Uh, that should really shock. It is the shock of all shocks to, to me. I think that is the real humility of a man, right? Uh, I'm not perfect. If you, we don't have much time, otherwise we could go back and look at, uh, write down somewhere the margin of your Bible. Uh, Romans chapter 7, Paul says, O wretched man that I am. Right? What does that mean? He's not talking about that he's, he's a justified man, but still he is wretched, right? Uh, then he says, who can deliver me? It simply means, then Romans 7, the last part it says, but thanks be to God, right? What he's saying is simply this, so we don't miss the point. I am justified or I am... I, I have the salvation, I'm going to heaven all true, but in my Christian life, it is not consistent like this. It's this way, all right? Um, you know, quite often, you and I, I don't know about you, this is my first time to Vancouver, uh, so I don't know people here, okay, but where I come from, we are not very consistent many times, right? Uh, but what Paul is saying, there is, a ho there is hope for all of us. Even though we fail, we get up and get it right. Right? Um, there is so much to be said here in this passage. Uh, even though he's the super apostle, the author of many books in the New Testament, he calls himself, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? So there is no question here where Paul is saying, look, my, look, Philippian believers, my life is not perfect. I have come a long way, but I have long ways to go. What does that mean? If you want to take one application from this, it's simply this. You and I, we must get real. You know, years, I, I read a lot of church fathers. You know, one of the church fathers said, we must repent of our repentance. What does that mean? Quite often, uh, you don't listen to me this closely, it's, we don't miss this. Quite often, even in our confession, there is certain pride. Right? The idea is that look at the Jones there, I'm not like him, I confess my sins. Shake, right? That's what Paul is saying here. Well, look. 
I have faults. I'm not perfect. If you read through Luke chapter, you don't have to turn there. If you read through Luke chapter 18, you will see the prayers of two sinners. One is the publican or the tax collector. The other one is the Pharisee, right? What's the difference between these two prayers? Uh, let me say this way. So you have the um, tax collector or the publican here. Then you have the Pharisee here. What did the Pharisee say? I am not like him. I confess my sins. Right? But what did this man say? Tax collector. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. Right? If you ask me, without fleshing out the details, this is... These are the two things to remember from this. The Pharisee, he was impressed with himself. But the publican or the tax collector, he was impressed with God. Right? He's saying, I have no merit. So there's two words to remember. One is humility, uh, honesty. That is, what is that? I am wicked. I'm not right. I'm a sinner. But then... There's humility that is only God can save me. Only God can help me. Right? Sorry, the honest, honesty and humility. Two words to remember. So coming back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. Uh, may God help us. At, at the first attitude in the race of life, that is you and I, that we should be, uh, we should be honest, and we have to be real with God. You know, Bible is very clear. We can't hide anything from God, right? So we have to be honest. So think about this way. Uh, quite often in my counseling, I tell people, you have to be real. Meaning, when you come to God, you have to say it is what it is simply means you have to admit where you are in your walk with God. You know, think about this way. Uh, you cannot get, get, get it right if you think your marriage is not doing well, but you are thinking that it is right. What's the problem with that? You have to admit there is some problem, right? Then only you can fix it. So we have, when I say it is what it is, simply means you have to be real that my marriage is struggling. You have to be real that my career is not rocking quite well now. Right? Then you have to start work, work on it. You have to be real that my kids are not living for the Lord instead of covering up. Right? You have to be so real that I have a judgmental spirit or I have a critical spirit. You have to be honest. You have to be real. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 1. He's saying a holy dissatisfaction. I call it a sanctified dissatisfaction. He's saying, look, God saved me, but my life is not perfect. But I want to get it right. I want to run towards perfection. That's what my desire is. Okay, that's number one. Number two, um, coming back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, the second part. Either were already perfect, and I, what's the next word? I follow after. 
that I may apprehend for that which also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I follow after. So, not only a holy dissatisfaction, a holy aspiration or a desire, I follow after. So, what Paul is saying here, um, my life is not quite perfect, but I'm not going to quit. I'm going to press on. Right? I follow after. What is the tense used here? Present tense, right? I follow after. That means what? I have not reached. It's a daily process, right? Day in and day out. I do this, that I want to be more like Jesus Christ. So he's saying, my life is not perfect. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to press on, right? Um, let me ask you this question. How often do we have to do this? Every day, all the time, right? So we call it this the progressive sanctification. That means you have not arrived here, but it's a daily walk with Christ, right? Um, when, do, when do we get there? This side of heaven, we may never be perfect, right? Until we see Christ, we may never be perfect, but the desire should be there to follow after, right? My goal is my finish line. I follow after. So I'm just giving you just the points and we can move on. So I don't quit. I want to follow after. Uh, basically, what Paul is saying, the supreme purpose of my life is to discover God's purpose for my life. Let me say that again. The supreme purpose of my life is to discover what is God's purpose for my life. Let's move on to the next uh, minute, uh, next point. And I was told at 1040 there will be, the floor will drop. So before that, yeah. number three. Uh, a holy determination. Look at verse 13. It says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this uh, one thing I do. Um, I call it a holy determination. That is, this one thing I do. Uh, you know, the 19th century uh, international evangelist D.L. Moody said, It is better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble in. Uh, this one thing I do, that is uh, what Paul is saying, I have a clear mission statement that is to follow Christ. Um, you know, let me make this application in passing. You and I, we have our calendars are filled with so many other things, right? Programs for kids and so many other things. Crowder with so many schedules. But when do you have time for God? Right? So that's what Paul, Paul is saying. This one thing I do uh, that's most important, spending time with God. That's how I grow in my sanctification daily. Uh, let's look at the next one. He says... Uh, a holy determination, this one thing I do. Then Paul illustrates that for further. It says in verse 13, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. 
uh, forgetting those things which are behind. Uh, what are we supposed to forget? Uh, our past, right? Forget those things which are behind and pressing forward. Now, um, you know, I am, I don't know about you, quite often I can remember very well if my wife got upset at me or I can tell you what dress she was wearing under what tree and where we were driving, okay? That's, that's how I function. But she forgets, she moves on. In Paul's, in this context, what Paul is saying, whatever your past had been, you don't dwell there. Right? Why? You can move forward, right? It is like holding a ball in your hand, and heavy ball in your hand and chain around your ankles. Can you run the race? That is imagery. That's what Paul is saying here. You cannot dwell on your past and run your race. Um, you know, I quite often, people who come to me for counsel, I say, you can never change your past, but you can change the meaning of your past. Right? Whatever happened yesterday, it's history. You can change, but you can move forward and change what's next. You know, I, don't, I, I used to live next to Cup Stadium in Chicago, but I've never been to one. But I have read coaches saying something like this. No matter, even if you have won, your, won the Super Bowl this year, sorry, last year, it doesn't mean anything this year. Right? That means you get to start all over again. In, okay, uh, there's more to say here, but let me make this uh, point. What Paul is saying, whatever happened last year, yesterday, your failures, your victories, your sorrows, your grief, all we are supposed to forget and move forward. Right? Um, quite often my pastor would say, if you're dwelling on the past, let's say somebody hurt you, what usually happens? If you think about it, are you hurting the other person or hurting yourself? Right? It's almost like holding the barbed wires and you're squeezing. Right? You're not willing to leave the past behind and move forward. So may God help us that from the life of Apostle Paul, that we can move, forget the past, and move forward. Um, and finally, I want to make one more, uh, one more point that is a holy affection. Look at verse 14. I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. What is the mark that Paul is talking about here? I press toward the mark for the price of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the price? The crown, maybe, but I think in the context what Paul is saying, it says Jesus Christ. He's saying, uh, it is not a trophy that I'm getting. It's not the money that I'm getting. But at the end, I, spend, I get to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. 
It is the person. That is my reward. It is not just a crown. Uh, so that's what Paul is saying. It is worth it all, right? Running, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing forward so that I can get spend eternity with Jesus Christ. So if you've been taking not, not, any note, a holy dissatisfaction, holy aspiration, a holy determination, and a holy affection uh, from Apostle Paul. I hope you would take these things seriously, and you and I, we have this, this attitude as we run the race of Christian life, uh, that we don't look at others and say, I am better than him. Right? Years ago, when I was going through seminaries, a preacher, uh, my professor used to tell, when you run your race, you don't compare yourself with someone else. What happens if you compare yourself with someone else? Either you'll be disgraced or you'll be proud. If you compare yourself with someone who is running ahead of you, what happens? You'll be discouraged, right? What about the person who is running behind you? You'll be proud, right? So he said, comparison is the highest form of carnality. So you don't compare yourself with anyone else. May God help us that we would be real and genuine and authentic for Jesus Christ. Uh, 1040, brother.